You're listening to Law Talk with Bill Powers, your resource for answers to your most pressing legal questions. Attorney Bill Powers sits down with some of today's leading legal minds to discuss everything from legal issues and legislation to practice tips and policy. Now, here's your host, an NBTA board-certified criminal law specialist, former president of the North Carolina Advocates for Justice and renowned trial lawyer, Bill Powers. Welcome to another episode of Law Talk with Attorney Bill Powers. I am Robert Ingalls, and I will be your guest host for this episode. How are you doing today, Mr. Powers? I'm well. Hello. All right. It is nice to be here with you again today. And today we are talking about assault and battery. So those terms I have heard thrown around, and they almost come off uh, synonymous. They are. Okay. Yeah. That was that was my first question. Is, is there a difference? There are technical legal differences between an assault and a battery, both in the civil context and the criminal context. Um, From the average person perspective, we tend to use the terms interchangeably uh, when you um, assault or and or batter uh, somebody. (laughs) Now, are there different levels of assault and battery? Mm-hmm. Is it so it's more than one? It can be different charges. They're not only different levels, they're different types, um, classifications of, of, of assaults. And that's true with many, many criminal type of cases in North Carolina. You know, the big picture item is, is it a, is it a felony or is it a misdemeanor, uh, in state court? But there are also different types of assaults and, um, different punishments based on the type of the assault in uh, so for North Carolina, for example, North Carolina, we may have a simple assault. We may have assault with deadly weapon. We may have an assault on a female. We may have a felony assault. And then we have what lawyers sometimes refer to as the alphabet assaults, which is adwixy versus adwissy. And that's an acronym for assault with deadly weapon inflicting serious injury versus assault with deadly weapon intent to kill, inflicting serious bodily injury. And so that's where you get the adwixy and adwissies. Um, and, and as you go up in the level of uh, severity of the injury, oftentimes the level of punishment is, is, uh, goes up as well. Sure. So when you say simple assault, like what, what would constitute that? Um, well, in, in district courts, most of the assaults we see, and there is a, such a thing as a public affray, um, which is a fight, uh, which is not sort of as assault when you think about it. If people are fighting, they're hitting one another. But sometimes we see, you know, people, my generation used to say someone got in a tussle. Uh, but basically, it's an unlawful touching of the person of another uh, with all kinds of little subcategorizations, what a touching means. Uh, but most of the assaults we see in court, at least I see in court, relate to um, pretty kind of mundane circumstances uh, at a bar. Someone's getting lippy, talking smack, you know, some pushing. Assault can be a push. Um, I've seen assaults with different types of weapons. We have assault with deadly weapon. Weapon doesn't have to be a you know a gun or a knife. It could be a stick. It could be a rock. Um, and 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 I'm assuming when you bring a weapon in, it probably uh, makes it a more serious offense. Yeah, I mean, and understandably so. And a lot of this, by the way, comes from this idea of a codification, and I'm not referring to a fish, 
um, of the common law in North Carolina. And by the way, North Carolina still has common law type of offenses. And sometimes there's an interplay between common law and statutory. Now, for the lay listener, what is the difference between common law and statutory? Right. Great question. Well, we were one of the first colonies, first 13 colonies in North Carolina. We had King George was our king. And the law that came over, I guess, with the pilgrims uh, was the law that was known um, by everyone. It was common. That's where the term comes from. And they were offenses, um, you know, sometimes against the crown or uh, your co-citizens. And so there was this common law that everyone knew you couldn't do X, Y, and Z. As we've developed over years, we've actually, you know, the French liked doing this. Napoleon liked it more. I don't want to get too much into this, but they liked the codification of law, making codes um, and writing things down. And so um, we tend to see in North Carolina with, we're talking about assault and battery, a, on this and this state, Bill Powers did knowingly, intentionally, willfully assault and or batter by, there's some level of description, uh, punching someone in the nose um, in violation of North Carolina General Statute chapter, whatever that may be. Uh, so that may be the charged offense, but the way we address it in court and allege the elements of it, what we call prima facie elements, first facts of a case, are that you, you know, done un did unlawfully, intentionally, willfully assault and or batter this person while in Mecklenburg County in North Carolina, you know, we're, we're make sure we have a territorial uh, jurisdiction. So, the, you know, those are the, the basic elements. Every lawyer, you know, that's kind of one of the first things you learn when you start practicing law or going to law school actually is what are the elements of the assault and what are the, you know, if I, if I'm in a restaurant and I turn around and I accidentally spill a glass of wine on you, is that an assault? Versus if I take a glass of wine and splash it in your face, is that an assault? Or if I take the glass and smash it over your head, is that an, is that an assault? With sure. a deadly weapon, perhaps, at that point. Sure. And maybe if you cut someone's jugular, then you get assault with a deadly weapon. Inflicting serious injury. Inflicting serious injury. And maybe you did it in such an extent that you meant to kill him. So that single act can be described across a wide range of, of uh, circumstances. And that's something that I, I see clients, I tell clients, not unusual, it's you were just one step away from being to the next worst thing, um, that it could have gone the wrong way. And that's why they don't always understand, well, why is it, it's only a misdemeanor, why does the judge make me do X, Y, and Z? And I said, because you were lucky. You, it, the person didn't have to go to the ER, the person didn't almost bleed out or, or something like that. Right, perfect. One of the things that I, I, it's gotten more fanfare in the news lately. I don't know if fanfare is quite right. the right word for it. Right. Uh, but has gotten more airtime is domestic violence. Uh, you're seeing sure. it in sports and things like that. Mm -hmm. What makes an, an assault into the area of domestic violence? Well, um, there are some specific statutory, um, you know, provisions. And normally you're thinking of assault on a female, but to be fair, um, there are assaults amongst the different sexes where um, one person may be assaulting the other. And domestic, in the, in the purest sense of the term, are people who are residing with one another or having relationships with one another, or in some instances have children with one another. The reason that there are some uh, things I'm distinguishing is that uh, there's also an aspect of domestic violence involves our civil courts 
and we talk about restraining orders. So it's not unusual for us to see an assault, whether it be a simple assault um, or an assault on female, which is a man striking a woman. The man's over 18 years old of age. And there's, there's a separation. It's, and it's, it's frankly more serious from a criminal sanction punishment. Assault on a female is a more serious charge than a simple assault. So your sex, you know, your genetic makeup, XY chromosomes, makes a difference. Um, but there's also a possible consequence of a restraining order based on a domestic relationship. If you um, have lived together or even if you're not anymore, it may have a what we call a 50B. It's North Carolina General Statute, Chapter 50B, um, versus a 50C, which may be people that weren't you know, maybe they're strangers. So we may have a restraining order, which is related to, but separately, certainly different than the criminal charges. And if you violate the restraining order, it's actually a separate criminal charge in and of itself. So domestic, normally relating to, we're, we're referring to relationships where people have domiciled or lived together or had a dating relationship or, or children together. So. All right. Another one that it doesn't come up a lot, but I've heard it before is is sports officials. I guess when people attack the referee sure. or something like sure. that, is that its own level? Well, there are there are certain categories and classes of offenses. There are also certain, I guess, categorizations or acknowledgments, if you will, of certain types of people or susceptibilities. So. We see special protections and or punishments or enhancements, if you will, of punishments for, I already gave one example, assault on a female, male versus female over the age of 18. But we also have assault on a child under a certain age. We also have uh, assault on uh, law enforcement officers. We also have assault on emergency personnel, EMS. Uh, we have assault on um, sports uh, officials, if, you know, they're in a weird position that they're not able to defend themselves. And it act- lots of angry people, you know, just right there near them. Oh, sure. And people, I mean, <laughs> people get the very term fan, sports. you know, comes from the word fanatic. Um, yeah. And, and, and actually it, it kind of comes from this idea when you come uh, think of a common law um, where the fairness of the fight, for lack of a better term, or the injury so if you have assault with a deadly weapon, that's more serious than if you and I engage in a tussle or a brawl with our fists, fisticuffs, mano a mano, literally hand on hand, um, is different than if when I change the circumstances and I pull out a weapon and then I, I take advantage of a circumstance or a particular susceptibility, I'm, I turn myself into more of an aggressor. Uh, that's also why you have special laws regarding carrying a concealed weapon because there's this old common law idea that it wasn't fair to get the drop on somebody. That I guess if you and I fought with our fists, it was one thing. But then in, if I have a weapon concealed, I, I now place myself in a, in a stronger position and, and a higher and a greater likelihood. And, and I would be remiss in failing to note this, a higher and greater likelihood of, of a more substantial level of injury. Not to say that you cannot do some serious damage with fists. Um, we see this on TV where uh, you know people punch each other in the nose and it's... That can be a bloody, brutal, lifelong-changing 
event that we get used to, you know, kind of normalize on TV. Sure. Uh, Until you get punched in the face yourself and you're like, this is not normal. Right. And, <laughs> and, you know, as Mike Tyson always said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. But I've seen the pictures um, uh, where maybe someone has some higher level of training. Maybe there's uh, they're an expert in jujitsu or something like that or black belt. And there are, you know, legal well, no. And that brings me to my next question mm-hmm. that I had is if someone is specially trained, like if someone has been an army ranger or if they know jujitsu, does that change the case for them? It can. That may fall more in a category of defenses um, and duty to withdraw. Um, I, I can't think of one recently. I'm sure there's one out there. I You do enough of these things and they... You, you forget, but I, I, I tend to see those on felony cases yeah. where... Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, sorry. sorry. I think the one that always sticks out for me, and, and I've heard other people mention as well, is uh, the Nicolas Cage movie. Sure. Um, Con Air. Con Air, right. Right. He was an army ranger, and, yeah. and he ended up defending his wife. And, right, and his and hands are he, lethal weapons yeah, and all that. Yeah, he killed a guy and right. went to jail because of that. Right, and and we, we're making light of that because we're on a podcast, and we're, you, I mean, it's hard to listen to literally the gore. But it helps explain and make a point. And, and when, when I've got someone sitting in my office, it's obviously much more serious. But yes, there are circumstances where um, you have a duty to retreat. You have a duty to back away or separate yourself from a situation. Um, and I think that's the logic behind the common law and the general statutes is to prevent people from really seriously hurting one another. Um, and it's it's... It's it's it, it, it's an imperfect system because there's no law that ever can be made or written that fits every circumstance, every fact pattern. There has to be some level of leeway, and that's why part of why we have juries is that the jury is meant to be the societal norm. The Twelve peers that judge what is reasonable or not reasonable in the use of force, or who has a duty to retreat, or whether or not they were you know there was a, a particular level of susceptibility. And again, because there's this common law commonsensical kind of approach to things. Sure. Now, I don't want to put you on the spot, but a question that that I have is, let's say you're in a bar Mm -hmm. and and somebody slugs you. Mm -hmm. In in that moment, do you have the ability to defend yourself inside the law? Well, you you have a limited ability to defend yourself and prevent further injury. Unfortunately, what happens, I see as a practical matter, is that it escalates or goes something further um and there may be times where you have a duty to retreat even though that's not doesn't seem particularly fair um so do you get a free punch back meaning you know he started it not necessarily um because even if you're not charged with assault you may be charged with you know willfully engaging and i promise you they don't just look when i say they the courts and the district attorney's office in deciding whether to prosecute a matter or indict a matter, take it to a grand jury, they are not just going to look at who threw the first punch. They're going to look at the the background that got you to that point. So, for example, uh, let's say that you used a fighting word, and these are terms of art, comes from common law. You, you use a certain word that is meant to evoke, and in a common parlance, people know that that's going to evoke a, a visceral or physical response and I punch you. Now, this is something you don't see as much uh, anymore. I mean, we're not dueling one another. But but this is where the logic where it came from. 
and I, 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 I punch you in the nose as an example. And the jury may say, well, you kind of deserved it or he was asking for or, it. or there, that was a normal customary reaction. Let's say you were defending. We get in these more normally, not in, in insults of, of character or honor, but defending someone else. Yeah. And okay. that, that was a question I had as well. Right. Like if you let's go back to that same club and you're walking through with your wife. Right. And somebody reaches out and puts their hands on her. Right. Well, then then that may be more of a justification and, you know, legal justifications as defenses work as long as the jury says it was necessary and proper and you use the force and extent necessary to effectuate that defense and you have to be right. So okay. there's a good chance you're still going to find yourself in court. Well, you may. But you uh, may have good defenses. Right. And what, what, what I see as a practical matter happen is that, you know, several people get cuffed and then we're pointing fingers at yeah. one another in court. We and, sort it out later. Right. right. Uh, and that brings me to the my last question mm -hmm. is, we talked about a couple defenses just now. Are there other defenses to assault and battery? Sure. Well, let's assume the, the biggest one is you didn't do it. Um, <laughs> uh, so that's always... The shaggy defense wasn't me. Yeah, it wasn't me. <laughs> uh, or are you going to believe me or your lying eyes kind of deal? But yes, there are defenses, but they're hyper-technical in nature. And frankly, there's... A lot of these assault and battery cases are heat of passion, heat of the moment. You know, I didn't really have time to think. And so, you know, when you're engaged in one of these circumstances, and we oftentimes see them made even more serious and complicated by the, you know, consumption of alcohol or drugs, um, people aren't acting as they normally would. Are you really taking the time to think, well, I'm going to use the force reasonably necessary to defend somebody, or you grab you know, my significant other, do I get, you know, to punch in the face? My experience has been that law enforcement try to do a couple things right off the bat. One, they would respond quickly to make sure it doesn't escalate. Two, they want to make sure that other people in the area don't get hurt um, because you've got these uncontrolled people flailing around. And third, they don't want to get injured in the process of subduing uh, people. And so it, you know, you want to, you want to put a stop to the situation. You want to get it calm. And sometimes that necessitates taking people out of the circumstances, handcuffing them, maybe putting them back in a patrol car, maybe if they think it's appropriate, arresting them. And, and that is the best way to separate the, or, or diffuse the situation. And I want, I, and I want to be, I want to be fair about this. I have seen in my, my 25 year career now, um, a, a major difference in attitude of law enforcement for diffusing situations as opposed to escalating situations, especially in, in the Charlotte Mecklenburg area. I have to compliment um, law enforcement and their training, whether it's CMPD, Charlotte Mecklenburg Police, or, or the Sheriff's Department. Uh, they have really become quite good at um, calming things down, getting control of the situation, enforcing the law. Um, but I, I really have not seen um, near as much of escalation by by law enforcement. And, and I think people say, oh, that never happened. Yeah, it did. Years ago, you used to see it. It was um, I don't I don't see that anymore. I'm, I'm really kind of uh, proud of that. I'm sure there are circumstances. I'm sure you know, people are human as well um, that wear badges. But it's really changed a lot. 
I also think it's it's not as a, as as um, acceptable in our society anymore to see a a bar brawl and not there there be a con- not to have a consequence. You know, when I was in college, you'd be at bar brawl and people be sitting on and maybe a police got called, maybe they didn't. That's not acceptable anymore. Yeah, I mean, even ten years ago for me, it was like that. It wasn't quite as big of a deal, and and I remember when I was even younger in school that when you would get in a fight, the police got called. At, to the school right right and and my parents just it blew their mind it blew their mind that the police were going to show up and deal with a fight at school because and i think that just speaks to the cultural shift right right and there was a level of intentionality school's a great example i hadn't thought about it until you mentioned it but there there was an intentionality to a zero tolerance policy that anyone that was involved in a fight got suspended and or criminally prosecuted whether it was adult court or juvenile uh court um I don't know if that was always a wise expenditure of funds, but I think I understand the logic. The under, the logic is is that we don't want the rest of the kids getting injured um, during this mayhem or or melee. There's a reason those terms mean something. Is it's it's completely out of control. It's the worst part of humanity. You know, beating on one another literally. All right, you have answered the questions <laughs> I have. Is uh, is there any last words on this subject? Well, I, I I would I would say that if you have been charged with one of these many different types of offenses, uh, talk to an attorney uh, quickly. Um, don't just assume that you can go into court and say, well, sorry, I, I'll shake your hand. And um, There are consequences to actions. I think as a policy, uh, the courts, the DAs, um, law enforcement, you know, don't take a shine to these type of offenses. And you may be needing some level of preparation going in like we you know in the dwi case we talk about getting an alcohol assessment maybe doing some community service on assault type of cases we may send you for the same alcohol assessment we may send you to an anger management class there are things that you need to prepare for uh, and I, th- I think beforehand here go to work prepare that really make a difference so you could actually get them in a better position for their very first appearance in court by doing some maybe legwork in the beginning that sure. can have a better outcome. Sure. Well, it depends on the facts of the case, but it's not unusual for me to recommend a client get an alcohol assessment or some level of treatment if it's necessary. I'm not here to, you know, judge them in a the sense that I think, you know, think you're a terrible person. But yeah, I mean, I want to, that's a lot what lawyers do is we explain the legal aspects, but we also counsel people and we try to put them in the, be- the best circumstances we can, given their history and their record and the facts to make them eligible maybe for a deferral type of program or maybe you know going to the da and saying you know can we pay some community service or i uh, pay some restoration or or uh you know fees for medical bills i mean some of these things get expensive so yes i i think there are things that you can and should do and if you don't i think it's a mistake so that proactive approach might gain you something with the district attorney and or the judge uh, yes, and that and that gaining thing is is to me is is reasonableness and showing that you're you're taking the offense seriously, uh, and that you uh, before it has been any level of adjudication, um, there has been a an acknowledgement that something didn't go the way it should have. Doesn't mean you're guilty. Uh, and there are times where, even though the person says I'm absolutely positively was not involved, I'm fighting this case. I say. Go ahead and just get an assessment either way. It's not going to hurt you, and it's it's showing that you're taking the, the charges seriously. So yes, I, I do. I I think it's 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 a bad idea in any type of criminal case just to roll in the court and then let's see how things work out. Uh, I I I tend to prepare for everything I can when I when I'm going to court. 
because there's consequences now of the convictions. I mean, with the with computers nowadays, records show up forever. Um, they they just unless they're expunged, and even then, they sometimes will still show up on a database somewhere. Um, I, I don't take anything lightly anymore as a lawyer. I want to, I want to go in there and try to help my client the best I can. And I assume next to theft and larceny and things that employers probably aren't very high on uh, violent offenses as well. Right. Violent offenses or what appear to be offenses related to substance abuse. Don't be afraid to call a lawyer. Uh, we at our office uh, offer a free confidential consultation. Uh, we truly do want to help people. And when we don't charge for a consult, and it's confidential, why not? All right. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, My pleasure. All right. You've been listening to Law Talk with Bill Powers, your resource for answers to your most pressing legal questions on your time. Ready to discuss your matter now? Call 704-342-HELP for your free and totally confidential consultation. That's 704-342-4357. Law Talk with Bill Powers is an educational resource only. The information presented on this podcast does not constitute legal advice and is not a substitute for consulting with an attorney. Every situation is unique. Therefore, you should always consult with a licensed attorney before making any legal decisions. Thanks for listening.